Good to see you all tonight. We're back in Judges. We're going to look at one verse tonight. <laughs> the, the last verse of chapter 3. Let's pray we uh, get through that one verse. We'll be looking at many others, but that's the one we're focusing on. Father, we thank you for just your grace in our lives. Thank you for bringing us through yet uh, another week. And Lord, we look forward to spending time tonight in your word and learning uh, Father, about um, uh, Shamgar and uh, who this individual is. And Lord, we pray that you would um, help us to uh, um, be able to apply the truth that we learn about this uh, mysterious man. <laughs> and uh, Father, we thank you that you used him in your way. And, and uh, Lord, it just goes to show you you don't have to have a name of notoriety to be used by you. And so we just... Uh, Look forward to our time together tonight. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges chapter 3. And last week we looked at the left-handed Ehud, how he took care of the king, (laughs) the wicked king. And tonight we will look at uh, Shamgar, an obscure savior. Um, Remember, the, the, the book of Judges is all about... Um, chapter 17 verse 6 and chapter 21 verse 25 and they both say the same thing in those days there was no king in Israel but every man did what which that which was right in their own eyes and that's a pretty good description of the society we live in today and even though God brought them out of bondage they spent 40 Years wandering around the wilderness, brought them safely into the land of Canaan. And he promised they could have all that if they would just simply walk in his ways, in in holiness. And they had a hard time doing that. And so we see here in in verse 31, we can just read this short. (laughs) After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also saved Israel. Uh, The Bible, if you you have the pleasure to read through it and and look at different things, uh, one thing you'll see is it's full of people who are completely obscure. They appear on the the pages of the Bible and then, boom, they're gone. And people are like, well, do you know anything more about this? Nope. We just know what, what the written word says. There's no lineage, nothing. And the, these, these are people that step out of the shadows, as, as if it were, and, and they're used mightily by God, and then they just fade away as if they were never even mentioned. And Shamgar is one of those. There's other ones throughout the Bible. You may remember in Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 8, you had one of uh, David's mighty men, the first one that's listed. Uh, the King James calls him Adino. It's easier than pronouncing the other name, so we'll just call him Adino. Uh, And he was one of David's mighty men who killed 800 men at one time with a spear. So in one battle, he wiped out 800 men. And then he's gone. You don't hear anything more about him. Or Eleazar, another one of David's mighty men. He stood boldly in the day of battle in uh, 2 Samuel 23, 9-10. And he fought so long and he killed so many Philistines that when the, when the battle was over, he couldn't 
open his hand to release his sword. It was like permanently <laughs> part of his body. He used it so much that day. And then the next guy, one of David's mighty men in, in 2 Samuel 23, was uh, Shema. He stood alone in a field of chickpeas, <laughs> basically, and uh, fought off the Philistines. That's what the Bible says. <clears throat> and it says that God gave him a great victory. Or you can go to 1 Kings chapter 17 and read about the widow at Zarephath who fed Elijah. Remember that story? And sheltered him during his uh, time of famine there. Um, or in 1 Kings chapter 5, there is an uh, Israelite maid who told, who told Naaman about the, the man of God. And she told her master about the God of Israel. And this led to his cleansing, his cleansing from leprosy and to eventually his conversion. Or even in the New Testament, you see uh, people like the little boy who gave up his lunch, right? In the New Testament, in uh, John chapter 6, uh, verses 5 to, to 13. He gave whatever he possessed, he gave it to God, and God used that tiny portion of food to feed the vast multitude of people who were gathered there. But that's all we know about the kid. We don't know anything else about him. Or you even have the woman who anointed the Lord and washed his feet with her hair in Luke chapter 7. She performed a labor of sacrificial love. Or some people don't think about this guy, but the Joseph of Arimathea. We don't know a whole lot about him. Other than we know he was wealthy. Um, but he, he did something at great personal risk and great personal cost. He buried the body of Jesus, right? And the list could go on and on with people. But the point is, it seems that God uses and he chooses to use those who are sometimes unknown and obscure to accomplish his divine work in this world. And the passage here in Judges 3, um, 31 is no exception. We see exactly this man listed and then he just fades away off the pages of scripture almost we don't know a lot about him you can do research on him you're not going to find he's only mentioned twice in the bible he's mentioned here and over in chapter 5 uh, verse 6 where it talks about how the days were during that time and so but what is said reveals quite a bit about his person and about his character his courage and so tonight we want to look at three things and like i said it'd probably be a, a shorter study i imagine just going on through one verse <laughs> um, but we want to look at shamgar the worker shamgar the warrior and shamgar the winner and so when we look at the first one there shamgar the worker his name shamgar it can mean two things it can mean cupbearer or uh, sword either one and uh, we don't know what he was named for, but that's it could be either one fits the details that we know about him um, he was like a sword in the hand of God that's for sure as God used him to destroy the enemies of Israel but he was also like a cupbearer who brought a cup of God's wrath to his enemies he's called the son of Anath and Anath was the Canaanite which I thought was kind of ironic the Canaanite goddess of war that could be a, a nickname for Shamgar Maybe they called him the warrior. We don't know. Um, it could also mean that he was from the town of Beth Anath. Some say 
which is uh, geographically, it's located up in the northeastern part of Israel, um, and it belongs to the tri tribe of uh, Naphtali. But of course, it could also just be his dad's name. That's, you know, sometimes they just got named after that. But one thing we know for sure is that he was a farmer. So he was a hard worker. And you say, well, how, how do you know he was a farmer? Well, it says that he carried and fought with an ox goad. Now, if you know anything about farming, um, if you goad a cattle, now they use electronic prods, you know, to get them through the gates and things. But now, uh, back then, they would use what they called an ox goad. It wasn't a weapon. You didn't use it as a weapon. You used it as an agricultural tool. It was a pole, usually between, um, historians tell us, between 8 and 10 feet long, about 2 inches thick in diameter. And at one point, it was tipped by this long uh, iron point. And on the other side, it almost looked like a, a spade. And it had a, a, a thing that you could clean the, the wet clay and the roots and the um, other uh, things that would dig up when they were plowing the soil and things. You could clean the blades off with this thing. And they would use the, the goad to kind of move the, the uh, oxen along if they had to, to move them because they don't really respond to voice commands. But they do respond to a point, pointy thing being shoved in their side. Uh, so, you know, just like horses with spurs and whatever. So that's what, that's what he, he did here. Um, another thing we know is a little bit about the time in which he lived. If you look at, and we'll be looking more thoroughly at this next week in Judges chapter 4 and 5. But it talks about the time in which they lived. The Israel nation... Uh, the, the, the nation of Israel was being oppressed by uh, Jabin, who was the king of Canaan at the time. He was a very powerful enemy of Israel. He possessed 900 iron chariots. Remember, we said iron chariots, really, that's like a tank. Okay, so it was something, a pretty big deal to have one. He had 900 and the men to go with him. And his, his army just seemed completely... Uh, unbeatable. And as was the custom in those days, he probably would not allow the Israelites to arm themselves. They, they wouldn't do that um, because, you know, they could rebel or something. But it, it was a time when the people of Israel really were filled, it says, with a lot of fear. If you look at verses 6 and 7, it says the travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased uh, to be until I rose, and this is talking Deborah talking here, but she's describing the time that it was like during this time of, of Shamgar. They were afraid to to live in their homes because of those who invaded and attacked. They were constantly being attacked, and so they thought, well, it's better to live out nowhere than than somewhere where they can come and get you. Um, it seems that while Israel was oppressed by Canaan, they were also under attack by the Philistines, so that it was coming from all sides, you might say. And one of the, I think one of the greatest lessons that we can take away from Shamgar is that God tends to use those who are already busy. He tends to use those who are already busy. When God called Shamgar, he called a man who was already busy. Farming is not a for the weak-hearted. If you've ever been around a farmer or you know anything about farmers, they're very, very, very hard-working individuals for the most part, or they don't succeed at farming. 
because farming is difficult. And so this was a man who was actively working to feed and care for his family. And when the enemy came, God used Shamgar as his chosen instrument to defend his people. God does not usually use lazy people in any way. <laughs> when, you, when, when he looks at the church and he places his hands on, on folks to use them, he always chooses people that are usually already engaged, they're already working, they're already doing something for the Lord. Um, we need to remember that. That's why he saved us, right? He didn't save us to sit. He saved us to serve. He saved us to serve him. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created what? In Christ Jesus for good works, right? Which God even prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's not like you can't, you, you can't use the excuse, well, I'm not doing any ministry because there's no ministry to be done. No, <laughs> trust me, there's, there's ministry to be done if you'll choose to do it. Or James chapter 2, verse 18. James writes, but someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. All right? And so what's James saying? He's saying it's not good enough just to say, oh, I believe, I believe. What are you doing for the Lord? How are you serving the Lord? And as we're faithful, I think, to work in small things that God gives us, uh, he, he will open up larger and more important avenues of service he can't trust you if he can't trust you with small things he's not going to entrust larger things to you and so we need to make sure that we understand that and and that we're willing to do that luke chapter 10 verse 16 says one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much and so um we want to make sure that we understand, you know, sometimes when you go to, uh, we're getting ready to go to the Shepherds Conference this year, and sometimes you'll talk to pastors down there, and inevitably, um, you know, the topic comes up, well, how big's your church? <laughs> it's, it's just what comes up. And it's just, you know, after a while, it just gets kind of nerve-wracking, you know, because uh, does it matter? No, it doesn't matter at all. Now, everybody wants a big church. I mean, you know, I'd love to have more people here. But you know what? I'm not chasing numbers just for the sake of numbers. And the day in which we live in today is very hard for the church. And it's not going to get any easier, I don't think. It seems like the government and society are growing in their hatred, not just toward the church, but toward the Lord himself and his work. I think we enjoy a certain privilege today that probably 10 years from now we won't have. You know, I think one way the government will seek to muzzle the church of Christ is to say, well, you know what? Um, If you're going to say those kinds of things, then we're going to take away your your tax-exempt status. So now you've got to pay taxes. And you would not believe the number of churches if they had to pay taxes, like everybody else had to pay taxes on their property, they would go under in a matter of months. <laughs> so it is a privilege. We need to be thankful for it, that the government affords that to us. But they can also take it away. Somebody says, so what do you do then? Well, we can't afford the taxes and you sell the property. Let somebody else pay for it and you're eating homes. Right? It's kind of funny how it all goes 
full circle, right? I mean, it doesn't matter whether you meet in a building or you meet in somebody's house or you meet in a cornfield. The idea is you come together as the body of Christ. And so we, we want to make sure that even during these hard times that we understand that, you know what? God has chosen us for this moment in this place at this time. Each and every one of us. He has us here for a reason. And when people are flocking out of California in hordes, you know, someone has to remain to preach the gospel. Someone has to remain to be the, the light in the darkness, right? Now, I don't know if that's us or not, but, you know, you'd want to hope it would be that you could serve the Lord even in this, in this climate. And we have to remember the Lord is watching. The Lord is looking down. He's, he sees what, what our motives are. He sees what our desires are. He takes notes of your he takes note of your faithful service for him and you know what it it doesn't matter how many people you're serving it matters are you being faithful and you can be sure that he will if you are being faithful he will reward you when you one day get home and so shamgar was a hard worker clearly but he was also a warrior secondly as I said a moment ago, the Israelites were being oppressed. They were being attacked by the Canaanites under this king, uh, Jabin. And he had a, this powerful army that was beside him. And so <clears throat> they were not in a position to defend themselves. So they just had to kind of suck it up. Uh, Jabin, Jabin had d- disarmed the Israelites and he made them weak militarily. They had nothing really to defend themselves with. And so this provided an opportunity for the Philistines. See, since the Canaanites kind of made them, neutered them, <laughs> then the Philistines could come in, and they were a warlike people that lived near the Mediterranean Sea, and they thought, hey, these, this is easy pickings. <laughs> these people, can, they don't have nothing to defend themselves. Let's just go in and take what we want. And that's exactly what happened. And so they would, these, this nomadic people, the Philistines, they would come in and they would invade Israel, they would capture slaves, they would take crops, they would destroy villages, they would do all these things to these people. They, they wanted to avoid death or capture. So a lot of times they would just give them whatever they wanted, just hopefully they would go away and wouldn't kill them. But Shamgar, Shamgar, the warrior, he refuses to flee. He says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stand my ground. Um, And so when the Philistines came, he stood his ground and he fought. Now remember, he didn't have anybody to help him. He didn't have any uh, weapons of war. He didn't have any means of really defending himself. But he had his ox goad. He had what he knew best. And so while this was an agricultural tool, it could be used as a weapon. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's 8 to 10 feet long, 2 inches thick, with metal on the end. You could probably do pretty good damage with something like that if you had to fight somebody with that. It would have served as a, an axe on the one end, a, maybe a spear on the, on the other end. And it could have been used to, even when someone was coming at you with a sword or something to block their, their blows with their sword, 
so it could use as a means of defense, not just offense. And so Shamgar, this, this, this farmer guy, hard worker, he, he had this warrior spirit, and he, he basically just took what he had, and he said, I'm not going to take this anymore. And he used what he had to secure victory for his people and safety for his own um, family. And over the, the course of his life, it says he killed 600 of the Philistine raiders using this ox goad. Um, that's a pretty incredible feat for anybody to kill 600 people. I mean, even if he had a gun and he killed 600 feet, we'd go, wow, that's crazy, right? This guy did it with a stick. It's an amazing physical feat. And he probably was a man of top-notch physical condition, but also his power wasn't just based on his physical uh, being. His power was spiritual. Because I believe Shamgar, Shamgar was a man empowered by God for the task at hand. God raised this man up. Remember, this is the cycle that Israel goes through, right? They, they disobey God. They come under his judgment. They cry out to God. God brings up a what? A judge, a deliverer, a savior, you might say, for, for the people. And this guy basically comes out of nowhere in the pages of Scripture. And he's used by God and he's empowered by God for this task. I mean, there's no doubt that something had to be empowering him. I don't think it was just his bowl of Wheaties in the morning to go through something like that. Um, so God was, was with this man. And it allowed, he allowed, God allowed Shamgar to stand and fight the way he did. And he stood his ground and he fought while everybody else was running away. That in and of itself is a pretty significant act of courage if you think about it. I mean, what do people do when there's danger? I mean, look at any mass shooting we've had. You know, what do people start doing? They run, which makes sense, right? Very few go the other direction toward the gunman. You know, usually those people are wearing blue, but, um, you know, that's, that's what they're paid to do, right? They run into danger. They don't run from it. And so here, Shamgar, everybody else is running away, but he says, nope, I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to fight while everybody else ran away because he knew basically that some things he felt in his heart were worth not surrendering. They were worth fighting for. What was Shamgar fighting for? I think he was fighting for his home, his family, his freedom, and his land. All of which a farmer would hold in very near and dear to their heart. Um, he was fighting for the, the right to worship his God. And he was a physical and spiritual powerhouse, this man. He was a fighter used in a mighty way by the Lord himself. You know, we're, we're, we're called to be workers, but... I think we forget that we're also called to be, what, warriors, right? We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual war each and every day. Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Here's the war. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. In other words, as a Christian, you want to serve the Lord, right? You want to do things that are honoring to him. Well, you know what? You've got this battle going on within you. Sometimes you win it, sometimes you don't. When you win it, you're walking in the spirit. When you don't, what are you doing? You're walking in the flesh. You're giving in, you're yielding to sin. And so we're at war with Satan. 
like the Canaanites, and he would desire to oppress us in any way he could. We're at war also with the world, like the Philistines. It would invade our home if we allow it to, and it would take everything that we value. And that's sad when you look at so-called Christians, and they've just given up ground to the enemy. Not just general ground, but they've given up ground in their marriage, in their family, with their kids, in their home. They've given up ground in their mind. And, boy, you don't know the damage that's being done. And so we're at war, and some of the things are worth fighting for. I think a couple things here. I think we need to stand and fight for our home. The home, not physically the home. I'm not talking about a physical building. I'm talking about your marriage, your spouse, your children. I mean, most of us would say they're worth fighting for. They're worth dying for. We'd, we would go to the mat for them. Uh, no sacrifice is too great. No, no price is too high for that. And because God has placed them into our care, and so we, we desire to protect them. So we're willing to fight if it, if it comes down to that. For that, we should, we should fight to the death if necessary to protect those we love from the world and from Satan himself. Um, also, the church. I have no doubt the church wants to come into the the world wants to come into the church and basically devalue the church from the inside out. And we see that going on now, don't we? Uh, when you when you look at a lot of churches today, uh, they're very worldly in the way they function from the way their church government operates to the way they entertain people to the way they dishonor scripture in so many ways. And so we have to be careful. We don't want to go down that road. Today we see things like the word of God, things like preaching, worship, uh, doctrine, um, being called separate, called out from the world. All those things are under attack from Satan and the world. And, you know, you, you can, all you have to do is talk to, you know, you, you talk to pastors of churches, even in our area. And, you know, you ask them, well, what do you teach them? You know, and, and you ask them, well, do you ever teach on doctrine? And I, I've had pastors tell me right to my face, no, we don't teach doctrine because it divides. We're, we're not here to divide. We want to unify. So you don't teach any theology? No. Okay, I mean, you're a church. You're, you're supposed to be Christ's church, and you're not going to teach some basic doctrine and theology. Uh, and what they do teach is very general and very uh, watered down, you might say. You know, now, we don't want to just be offensive to be offensive, right? I mean, that's not our goal. Uh, we want people to come to our church. We want, but we're not going to compromise the truth to fill some seats. We're going to let the Word of God do the work that it does through its preaching and teaching and allow the chips to fall where they may. Um, and every day the world makes inroads into the church and you have to fight against it. And you have to be willing to go to the mat for things that we believe in and that we're, we're, we're going to stand up for. So we have the home, the church, and then also the lost. Sometimes we don't think of that. Uh, you know, they're under attack. Uh, they, they don't know God. They don't care about God. 
But guess what? They need someone to stand who's willing to stand in the, the gap and maintain the old ways so that they may hear about Jesus and not just how to have a happy marriage. They need the gospel. They need to know that people are praying for them. They need to know that people care for their souls. They need to know that people aren't just going to run from them because they're unbelievers or they're, they're sinners, but we're willing to stand ground and, and tell them about Christ. They need someone to fight for them as well. I mean, if you think about it, before you came to Christ, someone was fighting for your soul. Someone was praying for you. Someone was asking others, boy, you know, share with, share with Steve, share with Ken, share, you know, some, they need to hear the gospel. You know, let's, let's surround them with people that, that can share the gospel with them. And someone was fighting for you. Someone was praying probably nightly for your soul. And, and you wonder, you know, do we do that today? And if you can't think of anyone in the top, Jesus definitely did. <laughs> Jesus was interceding for you. Uh, he went through hell for us, literally, right? So we, we have to be sure that, you know, we understand that at least we can do is stand and fight for others who have yet to come to Christ. And, and I think that the church today, unfortunately, has been lulled into passivity. You know, we don't want to disrupt anybody. We don't, you know, don't want to be politically correct. We have to do and say everything that's acceptable because we don't. And we think that somehow to speak the truth, that that is uncouth, that's un, you know, unacceptable. You don't want to do that. And I think we need to do that. That's exactly what Christ orders us to do. Now, you don't have to be a jerk about it, right? I mean, you can, you can share the gospel in, in a very effective manner with people. And remember, you're not there to close the deal. You're there to present the gospel. You're there to bring the food to the table. If the people don't want to eat it, they don't want to eat it. You can't force feed it to them. But we, we have to be a warrior. We have to have a hard-working mentality, but we also have to have that warrior spirit that says, you know what, I'm not just going to lay down and let you take all this away from us, world, Satan, the devil. You know, uh, I'm going to fight. So he was a worker, he was a warrior, and then thirdly, he was a winner. A winner. Uh, the Bible tells us that, look at the end, and he also saved, he delivered, is the word, Israel. This farmer with his ox goad uh, defeated the enemies of Israel. His, his courage freed the people all around him. You know, when we stand up for Christ, it affects people around us. We may not realize that. For the good, it affects people around us. It allowed the people around him to live in freedom and liberty. He made a difference in their lives for those he fought for. And you know what? We can make a difference as believers when we're fighting for things that truly matter. Uh, it seems at times there's not a whole lot of victories, <laughs> right, in our lives. Sometimes we don't win them all here on this earth. Uh, but in spite of that, the fight is still worth fighting. You don't just give up. And because we're willing to fight the good fight of faith, others have the hope of a better future. You know, it's easy 
in the political climate in which we live in just to lay down and just, you know, I don't even care. Um, now I think it's probably wise not to be engaged heavily in the news cycle nowadays just because it's so crazy. But on the other hand, spend that time praying. Spend that time praying for our leaders, praying for our country, praying for God to touch the hearts of individuals that would repent and turn back to him, um, that we would turn back to our Judeo-Christian ethics as a, as a nation. You know, that's what we need to do. We need to spend that time wisely doing those things. Um, and one day we'll hear him say, well done, right? Good and faithful servant, as we're faithful to that. Um, you know, a lot of times when you sacrifice for things and then you see, you know, the results years later, um, I know that it's, it's, it's always fun to watch when you see an, you have an impact on somebody's life and you don't even know it. And then you meet that person, you know, 15, 20 years later. And they say, wow, you know, they were just some silly little kid that showed up the youth group or whatever, you know. I mean, you didn't, pay, you didn't even pay any attention to them. But, man, they can recall things. Yeah, I remember you did this with this and you went there and you did that and, boy, it meant so much. Really? You know, you just don't even know when you minister. You know, when you're teaching those couple kids down in Sunday school, you know, don't think, oh, there was two or three, six kids, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. You can have an incredible impact on their lives just by being faithful and being willing to share with them daily, weekly, the Word of God and ministering to them that way. Um, so here, you know, the battle is always worthwhile in the end. We can always know that God will uphold us and that God will reward us. But, you know, when, when, you, see, when you see it come to fruition, boy, it really, I don't know about you, but it motivates me you know, to really stay faithful to what God has called us to do and to keep that conviction and to keep that message of the gospel clear. Don't compromise it. Don't be willing to go down that, that road. Um, stay in the battle, I guess, is the, is the message. Don't disengage. Because all around us, people are laying down their, their ox codes. They're retreating. They're running with it like everybody else from the enemy. Um, some are running to join the enemy, <laughs> okay? So you, you have to be very careful. Stay in the fight. Uh, keep teaching, keep studying, keep ministering, keep witnessing, keep fighting for what matters. Uh, we're too close to home to quit now. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It reminds me because Shamgar was one who stayed in the fight, and, and we're told to stay in the fight until Christ comes. It says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. In due season. That's God's season. That may be tomorrow. That may be 20 years from now. Who knows? But we shouldn't grow weary of doing good. Why do you think we grow weary of doing good? It sounds like such a good thing to do good, right? And I think the answer is simply when you're trying to do good and you're, you're struggling, right, in this world. 
you're struggling socially, financially, all the, all the different ways that you can struggle in this world, but you're, you're honestly trying to do the right thing. And then you look around you, and what do you see? People who are just hell-bent on dishonoring Christ, dishonoring God, and they're the ones with the new Tesla and the new house and the new job. And it's like, wow, they're getting rewarded. You know, that wears on you after a while. And you wonder, boy, is it really worth it to keep plugging along? Yes, it is. Don't grow weary in doing good. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. I mean, just listen to these words. Be steadfast, immovable. That means you're not budging. You're not going to compromise. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, you have to ask yourself, are we abounding in the work of the Lord? Do we have that kind of an attitude? Or do we have the attitude, ah, got fellowship this week, oh great, I don't want to feed these people. Or boy, i got to teach those kids this week, or oh, i got to sing, whatever. I mean, we can go there real quick, can't we? That's not abounding in the work of the Lord. It says, knowing, in, in 1 Corinthians 58, 15, 58, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not, not in vain. One day it will pay off. When you feel like quitting, you need to look at the, the greatest example of steadfastness ever. Look, look over with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This is really the, the greatest example of steadfastness that we have. It says in verse 1 there, Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And look at what he says. Looking to Jesus. Verse 2. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself. I mean, sometimes when we have to endure for the saints, we get tired. He endured for what? Sinners. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Why? Because you're looking at his example. Verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Uh, think about that one. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, we whine and we complain, and then, you know, we go up to a foreign country or a mission trip or something, and we see how people live in different parts of the world, and we come home and we go, wow, I'm so thankful to be back in this messed up country. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you know, we, you know... Because other people don't have it this easy. They just don't. I mean, there are places in the world today where people are putting their lives on the line because they're willing to distribute the Word of God. They're willing to preach the Word of God. 
and they go to bed at night, every night, in fear that, you know what, tonight could be the night they come and take me away to some camp somewhere. And we don't have that here, at least not yet. And so Christ faced the greatest odds ever encountered by any man. He fought in the greatest battle ever waged by any man. He stood his ground and he used his, you could say his ox goad, what, the rugged cross, right, to defeat the works of Satan himself. And uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says in verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day, and not to me only. Listen to this, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And so what can we take away from this study of Shamgar, this obscure individual who delivered Israel in defeat over their enemies? Um, a couple things. God can use anyone, I think even those who think they're nobody, for his glory. That's, that's uh, the key. Uh, you look at Shamgar, he fought where and when he was. He didn't give in to fear. He didn't cower in fear. He didn't wait for better circumstances. I'm going to wait for backup. No, he just stood his ground while everybody's running away. He just took his stand for God. And guess what? God gave him the victory. That's not positive speech. That's, that's what the Word of God says. And sometimes we need to put that to the test in our own lives. He also fought with what he had. You know, no matter how weak you think your weapons are, no matter how, uh, you know, fragile a being you are, you put those individuals, you put the, your, those weapons in the hand of God and you watch him do great things for you on your behalf. You had Shamgar's ox, go, ox goad. You had, what, Moses' rod. Remember that? You had David's sling. You had the widow's meal and oil, Dorcas's thread and needle, the lunch of a little boy, on and on and on. You go down, the, you know, they fought with what they had. They were just willing to give it to the Lord for his glory. And also, Shamgar stood his ground, and that's a good, good lesson for us. We need to stand our ground. And it, that's a, a mental uh, game that you have to win. You have, to, you have to go there first and say, you know what? At what point would I compromise? At what point would, if someone came in here and said, you know what, you can't be saying these things anymore. You can't be meeting anymore. I mean, trust me, Ken and I thought about this with the whole virus thing and continuing to meet. And it's like, okay, well, what, if, what if they didn't show up on a Sunday and threatened a lawsuit or threatened jail time. Or, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's reality. I mean, it's happening to churches in San Jose, right? I mean, thank God we live here. But I'm just saying that it's, it's, it's so important to, to realize that, you know, but there's some things that we need to stand our ground on. And then he just left the, he left the results to God. He did what he could and he said, you know what, God, this is bigger than me. You're going to have to give me this victory. 
and I think every time he fought, he was willing to put his life on the line. I mean, think about who he's fighting, these skilled armies and warriors. And what's he got? He's got a stick with some metal on the end. Okay. But he was willing to trust God with his life. And live or die, he's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to put it all out there, and I'm going to, I'm going to make my stand for the Lord. And I think the other thing is <coughs> Shamgar enjoyed the victory. Um, every time he fought, every time Shamgar walked off the field of battle, he was the victor. He was the one that, that took the victory because God honored his, his faith. And you know what? He'll honor ours as well when we trust him in these kind of things, when we have to deal with with. Uh, major decisions in our life. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to make certain decisions. But you know what? Trust God. Allow Him to go before you. Really clear the, clear the air so that you can make the proper decision. Let me ask you tonight, are you standing your ground in the day of battle every day? Or are you compromising? Are you fighting for your home? Are you fighting for your marriage? Are you fighting for your family? It's, it's something that God has called us to to be committed to so we need to have the lord have his way in our lives you know the world may not know our names but if you're saved the lord of glory does right amen and he'll use you if we're willing to take our stand for his glory father we just thank you for our time tonight and lord we pray that you would just minister your grace uh, to our hearts lord help us to be like shamgar a worker a warrior and uh, just being willing to um, uh, allow you to provide the victory in our lives as we trust you each and every day. And Father, we just ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.